Welcome back to the Black Shutter Podcast. This is part two of episode 12. In part one, I speak with Jamel Shabazz about his introduction to photography and his urgency to capture the beauty of a community that was withering away. In part two, we discuss how his work has evolved and the importance of using his photography to heal that community. As always, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the conversation with Jamel Shabazz. This is episode 12, part two. So for 35 years or 35, 40 years doing this, like what is the constant motivation or inspiration? Like how do you keep that fire burning for for so long? The fact that I can inspire the next generation of visual artists, one, I could provoke thought about situations that are close to my heart, like poverty, despair, prostitution, war. You know, I want people to be reminded. And I wanted to continue with vanity and going to parks and free day. You know what I mean? That means a lot to me. But what's important, too, is the, is another cornerstone of my work. And that's what W.E.D. DeBose did in, in, 19, in the 1900s when he produced the Paris Exhibition. And the idea behind that in 1900 was to create, to take images that represent the pride and dignity within the Black community and take it overseas into Paris to help break down, I guess that's like the Paris photo of today, to have that work exhibited to help tear down those negative stereotypes that were being shown all over the world. So that's my motivation. That's always been my motivation, that I got to offer a counter narrative to a lot of the images in which we've been seeing, a lot of images that glorify negativity. I have to show the balance. Two of my most important exhibitions, one that's currently up right now, it's, it's in alignment with the work of Gordon Parks, and it's called Honoring dignity, excuse me, uh, a choice of weapons, honoring dignity. When my work is in, at the Minnesota Museum of Art, American Art, right alongside of Gordon Park's work. And that theme, honoring dignity, is very important to me because I'm showing the honor and dignity. I'm showing images that we don't often see. The fathers with their children, the mothers, the families, people at the dinner table. You know, young brothers were elevated in school. Uh, brothers who've excelled, in the, brothers and sisters alike who've excelled in the military, you know? And so that was important to me to show the world that there's another side of black people. We ain't all in the, there's a sport players and, and uh, entertainers. There's civil servant workers that need to be recognized, sanitation workers, firemen, postal workers. So I want to just showcase that body of work to give, again, a counter narrative to how we are perceived as a people. And it really worked. And it's ironic that that work is up now in the city of Minnesota where you have those problems that are going on. Right now, as we speak. In, in terms of race, in terms of that, 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 that violent death of our, of our good brother. So it's just amazing that I would open up that show. My very first show of the year is up. And, uh, and, and and so many people came through to see that exhibition and it made them feel good. And I did an artist talk there back in January to a, a predominantly white audience and, and they were so uh, uh, humbled in, in hearing me speak about my role in documenting the black community in a positive role. And, 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 and the exhibition went on to be a major success. That means a lot to me to offer these counter narratives, not only to the larger society, but young children need to see that right now because they are seeing a lot of negative images like never before. You know, they're being overwhelmed with it. So I have to show images that show another side. So when I do exhibitions and people come out and I watch them look at my work and appreciate it, it makes me feel that I'm doing my job right now because this thing is bigger than me. That's a pretty big, um, you know, motivation, you know, just to know that. The work you're doing is bigger than you and, and is reaching thousands, millions of people. 
you know, for for a very long time. You know, that's a that's a really good compass right there. And what I do too with all of my shows, I, I donate the work to the institutions. So now it's preserved. You know, now I got a home for it. I look to find homes for all of my shows, all of my work. So that means a lot to me too. I don't mm-hmm. need to have it come back to me. So it's here, now it's in the collection. So now, you know, it would outlive me. Yes. So, you know, that that was my task in life. I was given that assignment, you know, as an alchemist to record this history. And one of the motivations that I've gotten is a movie called The Book of Eli with Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. You know, and in watching that movie, a good friend told me about that. Watch this movie, right? It was a great Jew that he gave me because I realized in watching that movie that that was about my journey, that I'm on this path, that I'm going to have all these different obstacles that I'm going to endure. But I have a mission that I have to fulfill, and that mission is to document our history and culture and get to a particular stage in my life where now I have institutions that I can preserve, I can pass this, this, this imagery onto. So now our culture is now preserved. So when I'm going, it's there. Mm-hmm. So that was my journey. So when I watched that movie, I saw myself as a, that's it. Each book represents a book that will be put, put into a library for future generations to reference. Well, and I think back to the point you made about your father always keeping books around and there were photography books in your house. And at seven years old, you were picking up these photography books and they're inspiring you and they're, they're piquing your interest and your curiosity. And it seems like you're paying it forward by producing as many books as you can so that the next seven, eight, nine-year-old kid in their That's apartment right. picks up the book and is like, oh, shit, look at this. And they go out and they create their own version of the world. And that's one of the greatest things that I've heard, you know, in terms of my career. And I get emails almost every day where young people around the world tell me that my book informed their desire to want to become photographers. That means the world to me because now I'm giving back. Here, I was inspired by one book. One book would change my life. And now when I do these book signings, and even when it's not an official book sign, I might go to Barnes & Noble and sign about maybe 50 books and leave. And next thing I know, somebody got a signed copy of one of my books. And they tell me what that means to them and how that inspired them to want to be a photographer. That lets me know that I'm planting seeds now. I was given I was given a torchlight. Now I'm using my gift to to inspire other people, and not only to freeze time in motion, but to engage the community because it's bigger than just freezing time in motion. That's that's the easy part. What the complicated part is to speak to our brothers and sisters and let them know that they are beautiful, they are special. You know what I mean? To to help build their self-esteem by just recognizing them. That's what it's about. Mm. It's not taking a pitch and keeping it moving. You got to sit and you got to build these brothers and sisters, but they're hurting inside. Mm. By you initiating conversation, you're able to meet them on your path. And now use that as an opportunity to aid them in any which any way you can. It ain't about getting a pitch and just putting it on Instagram and, you know, or selling it. You know, it's it's deeper than that. You know what I mean? That's a small thing to me. You know what I mean? It's about building bridges. I can't count the amount of people I met on my travels just by simply taking their pictures and befriending them and later on in life being a guide to them. And if, in fact, I sell work now, I may make a couple of dollars and I hit you off and lose something, something because you're going through struggle. Because now this craft has allowed me to make some money, but now I can help you out because you're going through a moment of struggle right now. I never forget the people I photograph. You know, I never exploit anybody. It's not about that. You know what I mean? So if I have an iconic photograph that means something and it's a brother in it that I know personally and, and a gallery wants to sell it, I'll, I'll confer with that person, you know, and if they decide to sell it, you know what I mean? Yo, G, yo, what's your address? I got to lose some son for you. Next thing, I'm hitting the brother up with a nice piece of change. I hold him down. Uh-huh. And that makes me feel good because it ain't just about, the, it, ain't, it ain't about nothing. It ain't, it ain't about no fame and fortune. You know what I mean? 
I'm good with money. But if I could sell a couple of prints and give back, which I do, to different organizations to help facilitate programs, like uh, the, the young curators at the Schomburg Library or at the Expanding the Walls program out of the uh, Studio Museum in Harlem or at the Rush Philanthropic Arts Foundation, if I could make some money and, 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 and turn that money around and put it into different programs that can help elevate the youth within our community, I've done my job. So that's another aspect of my creative process. Not only am I freezing time and motion, but I'm able now to take certain images that I made and make money. Like, for instance, the man swinging the dog now, I sell some of those pictures and I could do, donate money to the, ASC, the ASPCA, mm. you know? So that's, that's how I look at my journey right now. And so I, I, I say that to say that I want to inspire a generation of young conscious photographers, not those that are in it for the money and the fame and fortune. I don't even want you around me. If that's the way that you think and it's all about you and ego, you know what I mean? I'll still build with you because proper education always corrects errors, but it's deeper than that. So if you want to learn from me, you got to have compassion. You have to have empathy. Number one is empathy. You know what I mean? Just don't take a picture of a person and keep it moving. Don't exploit nobody. Be respectful. That's why my early process was, even to this day, whenever possible, I approach people. Pardon me, with all due respect. My name is Jamel Sebastian. Man, when I look at you, I see a king. I see a queen. Can I get a picture of you, brother? Here's my business card. You know, I email you, whatever, but I got to freeze this moment in time. I'm not going to just take it and keep it moving. Where I come from, you don't do that. Because this is a big debate about my work being posed and all that again. But, you know, I'm not about being disrespectful. I remember trying that one time, and it didn't feel good to me, brother. I saw a really strong picture where I had a choice that, to either ask the person or just take it. I decided to just take it, and the look that he gave me, brother, it haunts me to this very day. Because mm. I didn't like that feeling. I'd rather, t I'd rather comp confront you, or should I say engage you, explain to you what it is I do, and convince you, let you see what I'm doing, and then you take the trust in me, I get the image, I, we exchange information, and I shake your hand. That means a lot to me. I don't like the dirty looks and the arrogance. So why you take my picture for? I don't want to go through none of that. I'd rather be respectful about that. The picture ain't that important to take if I got to go through, have a confrontation. It ain't that important. So I'd rather you just say no. And I get it. And most people tell me no, they say it respectfully. Because it's still a complicated thing when you a stranger approaches somebody that, don't, that you don't even know. And you got to convince that person that you were true and living in what you were trying to do. That's not an easy thing to do. I can't do it anymore. I can't believe when I look back at my journey, I did it so effectively back then. But today, I'm, I, I don't really engage people. Like my whole photography is, is on another level right now. It's not like it was 30 years ago. Because cause most people I can look at, they're going to say no. So I'm not even going to bother with you because I already feel from your body language that's a no, so I keep it moving. So it's not that it's not worth it to produce bad energy. I don't like bad frequencies. I want to have a good vibration to the point where I meet you, I give you my card. The day is good because I can introduce myself and introduce you to my page, and now you can instantly go to my my IG page to see what I'm doing and got a better understanding of what I do. Where back in the days you ain't had that. I had I, I had film, so I have to convince you. Of my vision. It's not like I want to take the picture and turn my camera around and show you. I have to convince you that everything I'm doing is right and exact. That ain't easy to do today. Today you take a shot and they say, well, let me see it. And it wasn't like that back then. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You had to get it right and you had to convince them. But at the same time, that was a challenge to me. And as a chess player, I embraced the challenge. You know, so to be able to go to a stranger and convince them that you were sincere, that took a whole lot. And and I was able, and I'm very grateful that I was able to effectively do it. But it it, it, it took a lot of training. Man, I'm glad to hear you share your your process of of getting the photos that you get because when I look through the body of work and I see all the portraits, 
it almost feels like these are friends or family. Like you have the access to them. Like they, it looks like it's a collaborative process in almost all of your photos of people on the streets. And logically, I start to think, nah, this dude doesn't know all these people. Like this is not all his family and friends. There's something that he's doing before taking the picture that allows me as a viewer to, to feel the connection between you and, and those people. So it's, it's great to hear you break down the process of like just treating them like humans and, and with a certain amount of humanity and dignity. That's right. You know, I, I had a, I took a class a few years ago. It was based on like street photography and the instructor. He was a good, he was a good photographer, but his approach was opposite of what you mentioned. And it was more like the streets are his and if you're in the street, then you could be in my photo, whether you like it or not. And he had like this really bold, in-your-face kind of approach. And he he demonstrated it. He We went on like a trip. He kind of demonstrated it to the class. And a lot of us just felt uncomfortable with it. But mm. he, he showed how he was able to engage in a conversation. In some, like he had a bunch of different strategies of how he would... Uh, sort of like disarm somebody's um, defenses in the street to get the photograph. But something about it just felt really off and, and, and it's not an approach that I want to do, you know? And it's, so it's really good to hear that there's an alternative way of doing things. And it shows in the people that you photograph, the communities you choose to photograph, and the energy that they give you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's all about every every situation is uniquely different. You know, there's no one way of doing this here. You know, I reflect back on my conversation in the documentary on Everybody's Street. You know, I didn't have enough time to really break down what this thing is like because it's very complicated and, and it takes time. Sometimes I might even follow a subject. All right, I see this person I want to shoot. I see this brother with his girl. All right, I see them. And it's about the timing. Timing is everything. So I see them and, and I might follow them for about a block. And all of a sudden, I see a background that flows with what they got on. So I'll meet them at that background. I set them up. Now, I'm a military man, so I believe in ambushing people. You know, I know how to set <laughs> a tight ambush. So they're walking down, and I know it's that right moment. So as I, I, I build with them, I said, brother, you know I got to get a picture of you and the queen. Yo, the wall matches your valleys, and, and, and the wall matches her, her Gucci bag. And so now they're looking at it. Now they're able to see what I'm saying. It's one thing to hear you. But when you're able to show them what it is you want to capture, and they look at the wall, and they, and they look at what they got on, they say, wow, he's right. It's that timing. So you have to convince people. You have to explain to them where they could visualize what it is you're trying to create. And then it's another strategy. You know what I mean? When I go out, you know, this, this is a plan before I even step out my door. You know, there's certain colors I got to wear. There's certain clothing I got to have on. You know, there's a particular portfolio I have to have with me because that's another another uh, master key when you could pull out. I might see a couple walking down the street and all of a sudden I, within my portfolio, I got another couple that mirrors them. So as they're about to approach me, I explain it to them. Then I pull out my portfolio and then I show them other couples. So now they're looking at so He's legit, damn. Mm -hmm. and, and that gets them open too. So that that's that was another uh, important factor in approaching people. It helps them see what it is that you have. Or, you know, you I might approach somebody, a, a young lady with flowers with her man, and I engaged, and I said, wow, that's beautiful right there. And they said, you know, we on our first date. It's like, what? You're on your first date. Now, you know I got to get a picture of y'all on your first date. And, and they like that. So you made people feel comfortable, and you helped them understand the importance of them getting this, this, this moment frozen in time. 
And then there's moments where people just say no. You know what I mean? I get that. I mean, some of my best pitches I saw, I could have just waited and just took it. But I said, let me just ask. And they just told me no. And I knew it was going to be a no. But I, I, but what's good about that now, I write about those pitches that I didn't get. They stayed in my mind. That memory is there. Yeah. So when I write, I'm able to bring back that image. Or what I used to do with my one of my partners that was an illustrator, he would draw the pictures in which I missed for me. I said, yo, E, I need you to draw this for me. And he would draw a situation for me. And I felt good that I was able to bring that that idea out of my mind. And now it's in paper. He would draw it with, with, with great detail. Or I'll write a poem about it. So that's just for me never to lose that image. That's just how you are able to resolve it in your mind. Like, I didn't get it the way I wanted it, but... I at least know what it would have looked like if I was able to get it. That's right. And you know, it's a very inter interesting story. And, and I briefly talked about it in everybody's street. I was walking along the last street one day, one of my partners, and uh, it was an area over there with a lot of prostitution. And I happened to see a, a young prostitute engaged in a sex act with this aesthetic individual, you know, so I wasn't even planning on taking a photograph, but I decided that I got to get it. My camera's out. This is a hell of a decisive moment. You know, she's all in the car engaging with this individual. And I took it, and she starts screaming at me. She says, oh, I got something for you, motherfucker. I got something for you. Uh, John drove off without paying her. She was heated. I said, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of rough right here. So I told my man, you know, let's just go back to back. And I, I got this. And these brothers rolled up on me hardcore. It might have been about four of them deep, four or five. They surrounded us. I got into my stance. My man got into his stance. The female was screaming. See, that motherfucker took my picture. I'm like, wow, this is critical right here. You know, so I, I, I was prepared to go to battle. I said to the brother, I said, brother, let me uh, explain something to you right quick, why I did what I did. And he heard something in my voice. And he called his troops off. And when I started to explain to him, you know, and I was already documenting prostitution before with a, with a course because I was taking the pictures and bringing up to the local high school and speaking to the young sisters about the dangers of prostitution. So I already had a, a story to share with him that was sincere. And when I broke it down to him, who I was and why I do the things which I do, he called off his troops. He introduced himself to me and he told me that, yo, you can come out anytime and take pictures. You have my permission. And not only did he say that to me, but he called over his girls and he allowed me to photograph them. And I call the photograph bittersweet. You look at the picture, you will never know it was a pimp and two prostitutes. And when you look at the negative, you'll see the sequence of events that led to that. And, and I thought that was really interesting right there. And I, like I said, I briefly spoke about it in everybody's street. And people thought it was funny that I was surrounded like I was going to be attacked. Because, I, I mean, I could have dealt with it on a lot of levels because I, I was strapped, too. But I didn't want to go into warfare like that. It wasn't necessary. But when I, when I started to speak to the brother with intelligence, it calmed him down, and he was able to steal my heart and spirit. And the brother gave me permission to shoot that area. And I would go on to document that area for about two years based off his permission. And not only was I able to document it, I built a relationship with a lot of those young women and even got them off the street. Wow. So it sounds like a previous approach that you weren't really comfortable with as far as like taking photographs without permission. You You did that there, but you were able to reverse the outcome that's right and and then turn it into a positive and which gave you a lot more access than um than you probably imagined you would have received and that's that's still being guided by that internal compass is, as far as not wanting to exploit anybody 
you know? So I think that's really interesting how you took that situation and then flipped it into like a two year personal project that actually helped went on to like help save some young women's lives. You know, that's pretty interesting. It's pretty dope. And at the same time, what it did to me, it opened up the opportunity to document prostitution in other areas now because now I built up a portfolio of all of these girls and pimps. So when I would go to other locations and I would introduce myself to them and now they see the portfolio, oh, wow, that's sugar right there. Oh, that's TC right there. How do you get this picture? So that, that gave me even greater access. So I learned the strategy of turning a negative into a positive. And, and that's why the chess is very important. You have to know how to move strategically. Because when the brother rolled up on me, I could have pulled out on him. And now it would have turned, it would have went someplace else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, before I go out on missions, like I said, I make it a point to dress a certain way. So you know I'm a little bit different. You know, you say, okay, this brother, he's on a whole nother level right here. He, you know, he's he's not normal. You know, he, he's, we don't know who he is, but we know he's, he's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And that brother got that. You know, we shared a particular history with each other. And and, and he, he didn't want to bring that out. But I knew that in him seeing me and hearing me speak, he knew that there was a connection that we had. And deep down inside, he knew that what he was doing wasn't right. So out of respect, you know, he allowed me to get the images so I can continue. And imagine, I'm telling this brother that I want to take pictures of these sisters so I can inform young women not to take this life. Yeah, that's, that's so, messing with his pockets. Yeah. And, and when I share the photograph with you, it's a deep picture because nobody will ever know. And when I look at it, 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 it's a very painful picture to me. That's why I named it Bittersweet because it's just deep. Because it's two prostitutes with a little boy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who is this little boy with this cat? You know, and who are these women? You know, so that was one of the deepest experiences of my life, you know, to be out there in the street. And, and that was one of the biggest confrontations I had when I was, when it, it could have really turned ugly, you know. And so you got to know how to diffuse situations. You know, I had situations where, you know, people said, yo, give me the film. You know, you ain't supposed to be. I want the film. And I always keep two rolls of film. And I had to, like, I was in an uncompromising position. And, and and brothers threw me out of an establishment and they want the film because it was a political uh, event and they felt that I had affiliation that was with the opposition and I had my camera and I got a very iconic photograph and I thought I was good and then security came and, and they pulled me to the side and as they was talking to me, I was willing to, will, I was taking a film out the camera because I knew that this could have went another way and I and I took an a, a empty case of film uh-huh. and, I, and, I, and they said, we want the film. And I slid them the empty film, and I was able to leave with the photograph. You know, so, you know, you have to be prepared for situations like that where people might confront you, even with digital photography. Yo, you took my picture, yo, erase it. You know, you know. So there's a lot that happens, and it could even come from someone that you didn't photograph. I might be photographing somebody you, know, you think is you, and now you're rolling up on me aggressively. So you have to know how to diffuse situations at all, at all times. That's why you got to be combat ready, because things, you know, things is it, it, it can go a lot of ways. I used to photograph South Beach, Urban Beach Beach for years. And that was one of the biggest challenges to me because I'm going into what I call gangster's paradise. And I'm going hard, brother, and I'm getting it in. But at any given moment, things can go ugly up in there. So you got to be on point and you got to have a plan A, plan B, plan C because it, it could just change. And that's a place where it's a combination of asking and not asking. And sometimes you might take a picture that you see as a winner and now somebody says, yo, he took your picture. And now you got some wild female screaming on you, you know, saying she, you know, she's going to call somebody to roll up on you, and you got to learn how to figure these things out, you know. So again, every situation is different. I prepare for all types of scenarios. It's like chess. Any given moment, you think that you got it on. Next thing, you put in check. 
Now, how are you going to get out of it? The game ain't over. Mm-hmm. You just got to strategically analyze, make an assessment of the situation, and find out how am I going to get out of this and win. Street photography, man, you have to have a certain type of personality because the streets lend themselves to so many different elements and things can change instantly. You know what I mean? And if you want to like document street photography in a real, genuine, organic way, especially in our communities, you have to know how to carry yourself. It just sounds like you 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 were built to be, to kind of be out in the streets and document it with a certain level of of care and and detail, you know, because you're guided by the mission, your greater mission of reversing the images of black folks. And that right there is like that that driving force that keeps you going and, and, and allows you to be in these situations that most people don't want to be in. You know, most people ain't trying to be out here tussling with pimps and, and, and scrapping with their teams and shit like that. You know, like most people are not trying to be in those positions. But if you're guided by something that is bigger than you, then you will figure out ways to navigate those different environments. And you got it with righteousness. I think that's that's the key factor too. When your heart is sincere and you're not trying to manipulate, but you are sincere in your efforts and wanting to document your people, bring out the good in them and seeing the beauty of your people at the same time, creating this image and giving them a copy of it. One of the joys to me, brother, is 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 making a really beautiful portrait and giving it to a person. Looking at that expression on their face. And they said, what can I give you for this? I was like, I don't want anything. You know, I mean, you really want to get me something, you know, give me a quarter chop a can of oranges, maybe a couple of bananas, but I don't really need anything from you. I just want to just make you feel good. And that made me feel really great. Even with some of the gangsters tell me, they said, you know, G, my mother still got that picture you took me back in 81 on, on, on the TV. And that makes me feel good, you know, to be able to, to freeze this moment in time that means a lot. Even when I see cats with their mothers, and, with their mothers, gangsters with their mothers, you know, I, I've done a lot of that in time. And I, and I just, I look at it as doing good deeds, brother. It's, it's my way of bringing joy into the world and, 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 and sparking good deeds. So by me doing that, you know, getting a brother, you know, out with his children on the weekend, you know, he might be uh, separated from the mother, but I got him and his daughter and I freeze that moment in time and give it to him. It means a whole lot. I'm recognizing you as a father and I don't want nothing in return other than make you happy. This is for your daughter when she gets older. And it makes sense now because... You know, all these years have passed, and now the brother, the, the brother's daughter, then graduates from college, and 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 she has the picture. She appreciates it. Or the father might have died, and now the picture is there. And today, it's even deeper with the coronavirus because what I'm finding now that is very troubling to me is when I turn on my computer and go to Facebook, or mainly Facebook, and now photographs that I took are coming up. But what I'm seeing is rest in peace. That this one died, and that one died. And now I'm looking at this photograph of the last time I saw this brother or sister, and now he's dead. Mm. And I may not even get photo credit for it. It's just one of the best pictures that they had of him that's now coming up on the feed. It might be the profile picture, or and in a lot of cases, my photographs have great obituaries, you know, because it's just a very special image. And that's especially painful to me because what makes that unique is that when I look at the image, the, the subject is looking at me. There's a connection that nobody knows about. You know the subject, but I froze this moment in time. So we had an interaction with each other. And if I look closely into his eyes, I might even see my reflection. You know, so I get a lot of that today. And I, I've been told that for many, many years that my photographs have been on obituaries and tombstones and things of that nature. So it lets me know that, this, it, again, it's bigger than me. Wow, man. 
Man, you dropping some jewels, man. Seriously. Um, it's great to hear. It's great to hear you share these. Um, yeah, I'm, I got to get it out, brother. It, it, it's very therapeutic for me to speak with you because I haven't really done this before with anybody. I've held it in and my work has been misinterpreted. So it's very important for me to share this with a brother who who's a poor spirit. And we may never see each other. I, I don't even know if we ever met before, but I just know now that we've had this conversation and, and, and now the history has been preserved. Oh, so yeah, once man. again, I'm very grateful that I can have this conversation with you where it could be frozen in time for others to maybe listen to and learn, you know, from our exchange. It's not, it's not about me. It's us, you and I together having a conversation. Absolutely, man. I mean, the biggest reason why I wanted to create this platform is because I wasn't seeing a lot of information readily accessible about like black photographers, you know, so I want to do my part to make sure that black photographers are, are recognized and have a platform to tell their own stories and that everybody out there, we can listen to them and, and learn from these stories as well and, and, and be motivated on our own individual journeys, you know? So, you know, I'm grateful that you're, you're taking this time to, to build with me. I'm, I'm interested to know how you went from doing all, all the street photography and, and um, with all the different themes, like being in the penal system and prostitution and, you know, the crack uh, epidemic and how that affected the communities to like jumping into the more commercial work that you started to do. I know that you, you did some work with Adidas, you did some work with Swiss Beats and Alicia Keys. You uh, photographed the cover of uh, The Godfather of Harlem. Like, how did you make that jump into that body of work? It started with the advertisements for the, for the companies like Adidas and Puma. I think that was the start because they saw that those products were being worn in my uh, images and they, they, they liked the whole aesthetic, you know, both the, their product, the style, and they reached out to me. And I, and I really appreciate that because it allowed me an opportunity to give models a chance to shine and to go back into locations that were very dear to me. You know, so having, you know, at that time, my, uh, my, my website, a lot of them were drawn towards me. In addition to seeing my work in publications and my book, I think that the book was was the the key that that introduced a lot of those companies to to, to my work. You know, that was it. I, I have to say that back in the days was the sensation that a lot of the brands saw their product in, and they decided that we need to get with him and bring back our brand. So when back in the days came out. The Shell Top came back out. The Clyde Frazier came back out. The Kangos came back out. The Gazelles came back. I helped to 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 re to reinvent a lot of the brands, and they felt that they needed someone who was original that was there to really take that vision to the next level. So they all approached me. It got to a point where too many of them would be approached me. I have a, a meeting with, with, with pro kids one day, and, and at one moment of the afternoon, and then later on in the afternoon, I got a, a meeting with with Pony. And, and it, it was crazy because they were all coming at me like at the same time. And I tried to work with all of them and just create different concepts, concepts for each brand. But that was my strategy because I never wanted to be rejected. So I never went to nobody with an idea. I only went to my publisher with book ideas. But I never went to any companies and tried to proposition them with an idea. They always came to me. And they let me do it my way. It wasn't that difficult because they said, we just want you to do it just like your books. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is, this is what I'll do. You know, I'll do it. You have your vision, I have my vision. You have your models, I have my models. It was my opportunity, too. When I was photographing a lot of young people in the street, they might say, well, I want to be a model. How can I be a model? So I take their name down, 
and say, yeah, when the first opportunity comes, I'm going to put you down on my campaign. Any campaign comes, I'm going to put you down. So it made me feel good to be placed in a position to employ people at the same time yes. that were trying to, to come up. So I always incorporated my models with their models. But again, people, they always approach me. So once they approached me, the campaigns all went on to do really well. And as time went on, the opportunities became greater and greater, you know. Uh, so I went from doing retro campaigns, which is pretty much the foundation of most of the campaigns I've done. They always want just the 80s. We just want that whole 80s. But for that, I'll give that to you. As time would go on, I was invited to do recreations of James Van work. And that was really special to me when a magazine called Suede invited me out to do something in the spirit of James Van mm-hmm. That was the ultimate honor because now I'm branching from doing basic commercial work to doing editorial work. So I started getting jobs like that. And uh, and then as time would go on, you know, uh, somehow my my name was linked with Gordon Park's name, and uh, Culture Magazine reached out to me, and they wanted me to do the remix of that photo that, that Gordon Parks did of Elvis Cleaver and his wife mm-hmm. using Alicia Keys and Swiss. And that was like a, a joy right there, you know, to to be able to to mirror a shot that Gordon Park did. So people started reading about me. I think the interviews were very instrumental, too. Because what happened with a lot of the conversations, uh, well, excuse me, a lot of the ad, as I did, I would do a lot of the interviews. And that allowed me to speak about some of my goals and aspirations of what I want to do further. So sometimes those those uh, those editors or producers and creative minds would read an interview and see that I want you know that I had this vision to do fashion, they would reach out to me. So it was all good. And the Godfather Harlem came from a fan. One of the creative minds behind it, Mark Horn Smith, was a big fan of my work. And he told them, he went against the grain and told them that I want Jamel to do this campaign. And I wasn't in the union. It was very controversial. Like, like this dude ain't in the union. How you going to do it? Even cats I talked to in the industry say, yo, that ain't right. But Marquand wanted me bad. And, you know, he fought for me. And I was able to get on set and, and create some really icon, iconic images. I mean, it's very political, but I showed and improved, you know. And they gave me the floor, and, and I was able to do it. So uh, it wasn't a lot that I got because I haven't done a lot of editorial work. It's very weird I get assignments. Most of what I do is self-assignments. But early on, like I said, when the book dropped, I was able to get those campaigns. But it ain't like my phone rings. It, it doesn't. Very rarely does my phone ring to do any campaigns or magazine shoots. That's just very rare. And when it comes, I try to take full advantage of it. I've only gotten maybe two covers in magazines throughout my career. What's up, family? If you're enjoying this episode, do us a solid by leaving us a five-star rating or reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. We appreciate the support. So on that note, we're going to get back into the show. Peace. Apologies. My son is in the background. If you hear screaming and stuff going on, my son is in the background. We're recording this under quarantine, so, you know, Everybody out there, bear with us as we try to uh, work this out. But um, okay, like I know that you started out in the '80s when there were a lot of things happening in the communities, right? Like a lot of things, a lot of issues. You know, poverty, which is still very relevant today. Well, you know, it was drugs. There was a lot of prostitution. There was a lot of um, you know veterans coming back home and dealing with you know being in the real world, right? If you mm-hmm. There was a lot of things that you could focus on then. If you picked up a camera today, what do you think 
you would choose to photograph? <laughs> that that's that's easy. I, I would have to deal with this time, brother. You know, everything going on today, this how life is forever changed. You know, I one of the subjects in which I documented heavily back in the days was the handshake. I wanted to show the, the, the love, uh, a series called Brotherly Love, and how brothers would shake hands and, and, and have their arms around each other in the spirit of love. What I would document now, is, is, it, it would be called uh, social distancing and just the distance that we have amongst each other now, or even to capture the elbow, you know, and how we have just changed, how life has forever changed. So I'll try to shoot very much what I did back in, in the spirit of what I did back in the days, but now, how people are now apart from each other and the impact that it has and how it looks. What does it look when people are just distant now? Where in my imagery, you see these group shots and people are close in the spirit of love. Now it's the spirit of suspicion, you know, and, and, and everyone is uncertain right now, you know, of, of everyone. You know, this one wearing a mask, does he have it? Does this one have it? Some people just want to get in and get out. So when you look at the eyes now, there's eyes of concern. So I think that what I might capture is really work on, on the eyes of people. You know, because it's, we just live in these uncertain times, and the eyes are the mirror to the soul. So I think I would concentrate on the eyes and the distance, the fact that we are all apart from each other, and the impact it's going to have as time goes on. I just can't imagine a, a world where we don't embrace each other anymore. That that form of communication, physical communication, connection that bonds us, and now it's gone. So what does that look like? And I would have that particular theme right there. You know, to show people, and then juxtapose those images next to a, a time before crack, or as I call it, time before Corona, yeah. where people were embracing. You know, and that would mean a lot to me. Like, what does it look like right now? People walk around with masks on. You know, not like you, because a lot, a lot of people are photographing it. But I have to add another spin, and I haven't really quite developed that strategy. But I think I'll just show the distance and fear, because I, I, I have a friend of mine who's Asian, and she told me how. When people see her walking down the street, they cross over. Mm -hmm. And what does that look like where people are trying to avoid each other now? It's like, wow. You know, bad enough for black people, you know, we are already stigmatized. But now you have a mask on. And how, and, and you are being seen as the, the, the carrier of that disease. You know, what does that look like? You know, and to me, I think I would have to do that in motion. You know, I have to do that in, 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 in I would have to videotape that. Because to Freezing is one thing, but to actually show people avoiding each other, I think is very interesting. Mm. So I think I would do a combination of still images and video to just show where we are at as a society. This is the new, I might even call it the new normal. Yeah, man, it's a strange time, man. Like seeing folks I haven't seen in weeks or months. And then it's like this awkward, do we uh, shake hands, uh, hug? elbow like is uh, you know it's like this like little weird stutter dance thing happening it's just like man yeah you know i can't i can't live in a world where i can't like just dap up my, my bro or, or, or hug my sis you know what i'm saying right. like i can't imagine that yeah brother we already distanced so now we have this here to make us even more distant from each other i can't imagine i've only been out once since the quarantine and my man came over here one time and it's like yo the hell with it you know what i mean bro we we go back too long and I'm going to give it to you straight up. Yep. You know what I mean? And, you know, whatever happens, happens, but yeah, we just got too much history not for me to do it like we've been doing it all our lives yeah. or whatever. So I gave him a handshake, the firm handshake and, and I embraced him and held him tight. We don't know when we're going to see each other again. You know, so I did that. My wife reprimanded me but it's like, <laughs> yo, I, I can't, I can't live this way. You know, I'd rather just stay home but I can't avoid it because you know what we do, you know, uh, you know, I'm out there embracing every lecture I've done 
you know, once it ends, I'm ready to meet people. Like mm-hmm. you came out to support me, so I want to meet you and I want to entertain any questions that you have and and, and I'm going to shake your hand and embrace you. That's the old me, but I recognize now too that it's bigger than me because yeah. I can can't catch something to bring it home to my family. So I have to take precaution, but it still troubles me. But like I said, going back to your original question, I would just show where we have gone now, this new day and age, you know, and, and I would write about that. And it probably really just pain me to see where we have gone as a society. Yeah, man. So what's next for you, bro? I know you say you have, um, uh, was it retrospective? Uh, retrospect. Yes, I'm working on my retrospective uh, for uh, you know next year, which I'm really I feel good about. I'm dismantling like uh, a number of albums right now, and I'm I'm looking at some of the strongest images I have to, to tell a really solid story. So it's probably the most important book of my life, you know. So I'm I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I decided that I have all these memories in my mind. I gotta do I gotta do more, I gotta do mini series. Now I've looked at the wire and the corner, and mm-hmm. I and I understand that. But I have a story that needs to be told that I've been developing for a number of years. I have a number of stories, matter of fact, that I want to tell. So I'm, I'm going to spend these next few weeks developing stories for a possible miniseries mm-hmm. about different aspects of my journey. And I think they're all really solid and they will allow me to relive certain moments of my life. So I'm doing that. And I grew up in the theater, you know, so I'm, I've been writing plays for a number of years. So I want, I want to revisit some of those ideas. You know, so I could uh, use that platform to address a wide range of social and political images. So those are two projects that are very close to my heart right now. And everything is taking form. You know, if I can get the miniseries out, I'm good because it will serve as an opportunity to help heal and reinvigorate our people. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in 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 a similar way like what Roots did to my generation, I feel I have something special that could serve as a guiding light to this generation coming up. Because we have to have a balance. I'm very troubled with the fact that they're making a remix of New Jack City and Scarface. Yeah. You know, that bothers me, you know, because, you know, in looking at Scarface and what it did to my generation, you know, it inspired people to get into the game, mm-hmm. you know, and it had deadly consequences. And with New Jack City, the same thing. So, you know, there's enough killing going on already. You know, there's, a, there's, there's just too much loss of life already. Why do we have to go back and make remixes of that? You know, so I feel now at this stage in my life, I have to step to the plate and be proactive and produce content that's going to cause upliftment. You know what I mean? We see too much violence as it is. It got to change. And I just cannot sit back silent as I look at my people being destroyed, you know, and and under attack constantly. Our image is being compromised. So if I'm in a position to do films and and, and theater and, and show the honor and dignity that could be shown around the world, then I made it. I, I done some, I've done something great. But right now, our images of people is being shown all around the world, and it's not in a good way. And I'm bothered behind that. Uh, one of my mentors, you know, indirectly has been Harry Belafonte, and I often say this in all of my interviews. He speaks in the spirit of Paul Robeson about the role of the artist, and that we have a responsibility to use this gift, you know, to cause an awakening, you know, to create that counter narrative. And I accept that, that that responsibility to be one of those artists that's going to use my voice and vision to create content that's going to be uplifting to our people. So I'm duty-bound to do that. So all the projects I'm working on now are geared to do that. And my, my most current book is going to be called The Book of Life. And I'm going to put my heart and soul into it, you know, and, and in hopes that it will help with the healing process. It's going to be that visual medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to really help a lot of our people who are suffering right now. And even they might look through the pages of my book and see loved ones that are not here. So that's that's my goal 
you know, one of my major goals right now to do the books and do the films. You know, that's it. And, and, and more importantly than all of that, I have to be a source of inspiration to people around the globe. And I use my social media platforms for that. I try to make it a point to call a number of people every day to make sure they are right. That means a lot to me, to inspire people, to make sure that they're good. Uh, another thing that I have to speak about is very important, you know, the curation of exhibitions. I've been given an opportunity to curate two very important, important shows during my life. One was called Positivity, and I'm very thankful for Danny Simmons, who was the, was the owner of the Rush, uh, the, the Carter Gallery in Brooklyn. He allowed me to curate a show. And what I did, I, I met a number of photographers throughout my life who never exhibited before for the most part. And I created a space where I was able to exhibit their work and, and have them a part of a show that became a, a, a conversation. And then just last year at Photoville, I was given an opportunity by uh, the UPI gallery mm -hmm. to do a uh, Photoville. And I curated an exhibition called Perspectives, where I, again, I met a number of artists that were trying to get their foot in the door and a number of them had never exhibited before and they needed the platform. So I reached out to 14 artists and I curated a show with my good friend, Layla Baran. And, uh, and it was very provocative and inspiring where it brought a lot of photographers, a lot of young brothers and sisters from the photographer community together. Very much like what you're doing with your podcast, I did it with, with perspectives. Mm -hmm. You know, it was 14 artists, and all of their work spoke to the time. So those are the things that I want to continue to do also. Hopefully, when this crisis passes, I want to curate shows. I've had enough in my life. I'm good. If I never do another show in my life, I'm all right with that. What can I do now as a pathfinder to create a way for the generation coming up behind me so they don't, have, they don't have to struggle like I did to a degree. So I want to show them the way that there's possibilities, not only making images, but being curators and directors. Yeah, man. I mean, I, man, I have nothing to say after that, man. I mean, that you just could continue to break it down. So that's, you know, definitely been inspired by this conversation. For many of us young black and brown photographers, you know, we know of like the pioneers, we know of like Gordon Parks and Roy, Roy DeCarava and James Van Der Zee. We know of them, but we won't ever be able to speak to them or hear them like really drop one-on-one <clears throat> -on -one jewels for us. So on a leaving note, what's one thing you want to tell the young black and brown photographers right now? Like if you could speak directly to them in their ear, what would you tell them? Wow. What a, what a great question, and I'm grateful to have the opportunity to share my thoughts in regards to it. That in this time that we live in, we need all hands on deck. We are living in a very serious day and age like no other time before. We are dealing with a coronavirus in addition to a, a racist president, you know, and who is in trying to incite a racial in this country. So it's a very dangerous time that we are living in. And it's something special with, with being photographers. We have a gift. And we could use our craft, we could use our cameras as, as weapons that can combat a lot of the negativity. So again, we need all hands on deck and to document what's going on, to engage the people, to encourage the people, to inspire hope like never before, because this thing is not going to get any better. It's going to only get worse. And we've already up to over 100,000 people have already died and it's counting and it's a global situation and there's no reversal. Uh, the selection season is going to be very... Uh, uh, it's going to create a lot of conflict in this country. So we need the visionary. Not only the photographers, we need the poets, we need the painters, we need the artists, the conscious artists community to come together as one and use your voices, your platforms to speak, not only to document images, but to create images that, that, that speak about the time and that can help in the healing process. Like never before, 
This is very serious. You know, I was always taught to study things in distant places because soon it's going to be at your front door. When I look at what's going on in Brazil, you know, which is leading, you know, is second behind the United States in deaths, it's very serious. We are losing people. And and the racial climate in this country has never been as hot as it is today with all these police shootings and tension. You know, so we we need the photographers and, and, and all the visionaries to continue to create images, document this time, stay safe, but use your platforms and your voices to address these issues. It's bigger than photography. Yes, that's the key that God is in the door. But at the same time, every opportunity you get to speak about your subjects and speak about the time and the things that you're seeing, please use that because, uh, as the Bible says, the harvest is ripe, but the labor is few. You know, so well, we need all hands on deck and pass that tr- that knowledge on to the other one. Each one, teach one. You got it. Give it to the next person. You know, and that's what it's about. So we got to help build each other up, and that's very important too. You know, don't be selfish with this thing here. It's bigger than that. Strive to do good deeds. And when you do good deeds, they come back to you. So sometimes it's a matter of putting a young brother or sister under the wing and guiding them and giving them direction. Do that. There's a lot of healing out there. Don't exploit your subjects. You know, there's a lot of people out there suffering, a lot of homeless people. You got some extra currency, look out for individuals. Because it's, it's a very critical time right now. We got millions that are unemployed. You know what I mean? So, you know, serious, serious times that we're living in. And watch your back, too. You know, because when people get desperate, they, they do things, you know. It's about survival out there. And, and sadly, when this thing goes down, people going to want to eat. So watch your back at the same time, too, because, you know, it, it's I, I'm, I'm very concerned with the future. But uh, I'll, I'll close by reiterating the harvest is right, the days are few. Brother, thank you for that, man. This was a great conversation. Uh, why don't you just tell folks uh, the best ways they could reach you on social media? I'm a little old school, so I still got my Facebook page, but the, the way that you can really get at me and I always respond is is my Instagram page. So you just hit me up on IG and I, I'll build with you. You know, my Facebook, my uh, website's under construction right now. It should be up in the private out another week, so you can hit me there too. But I, I like Instagram. So if you, you just DM me, I'll build with you. And I'd I like to get your, your feedback on my work that I, that I share. So just go to Jamel Sebas, you know, and, and, and it's there. You, you, you know me by my profile picture. Brother, on that note, man, really appreciate the talk. I got a lot to uh, take back and dissect, but uh, this was a this was a good one, man. Appreciate you, bro. Well, thank you for all the great work that you're doing, brother. I salute you for it. You have my full support, and I'll make it a point to inform people about, you know, following you on, on the different social media feeds to support your program. And don't hesitate to reach out if you ever need anything from me, bro. This is Jamel Shabazz, and you listen to the Black Shutter Podcast. Peace. I want to give a big shout out to everyone who tuned into this episode. Thank you for listening. The Black Shutter Podcast is hosted by me, Idris Talib Solomon. To subscribe to the Black Shutter Podcast, head over to iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. When you get there, show us some love by dropping a five-star rating or leaving a review. This will help with our rankings, which essentially helps more black photographers get exposure. Make sure to check us out online at blackshutterpodcast.com to read the show notes, learn more about our guests, and check out some of their work. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Peace. Until next time.